Welcome to the Inspired Wild podcast. I am your host, Trevin Stoltzfus, and I am sitting here next to Kyle Michael. Kyle, it was fun having you on this elk hunt. It was a blast being here. I really appreciate you having me out, too. This was this was awesome. The country's great. It's kind of a... I don't want to say last minute, but it really was. Yeah. I called you, and I, I was like, man... I killed my moose, second day of my moose hunt, and I had, you know, we, we put our schedules together basically in advance. You like to hunt. Most of the camera guys like to hunt, so you, I don't want to take your hunting time. I want to be very sensitive to that. You also run a business. You own a business. Right. You Which gotta, just seems to be more important important in most cases you know uh, i've heard that i've heard that um and so the the key is how do we balance this well last year i had a chance to hunt uh well i don't think you ran camera for me but we spent time in camp in missouri you were doing camera for some other hunters right i think the even before that i think was utah but that was a snippet that was like a real quick two-day I think for for Matt and I, mm-hmm. and I got to spend a little bit of time with you, but it wasn't it wasn't even like this, like what we got to experience this weekend. But even before that, yeah. So it was just that, and then Missouri, and then Nebraska. Yeah, and that was really when we I think we started clicking as far as number one, uh, spending time in the field together. You got to get along. Yeah, and we enjoy each other's company. Um, number two how you move around animals there's i mean everybody's different and we uh it's almost like we have to work together so you and i right got a chance to break the ice if you will or um go on some test runs and that spot and stock there's in my opinion there's nothing more difficult than trying to get two or three people fun if you're using a decoy very uh, up, right up close, and, <laughs> up close and personal but this year with the moose hunt i had really uh penciled i guess is a good word but we'd scheduled out the whole plan for getting camera guys plugged in for outback outdoors <clears throat> and uh, i wanted you to go as much as <clears throat> as much as you could but i also did not want to dominate your free time Uh, your wife shows dogs um you've got a lot on your plate just in some hobbies that your wife does and then on top of your desire to hunt right in this year and i really wanted to be part of that moose hunt as well just to experience it i know obviously you were one of the you were one of the first ones i called and it was just didn't work out but you were the first one I called when I'd killed, and I'm like, okay, I've got this last week of September, you know, last five days, let's say, of September planned. Well, maybe I can help that. So the next question is, well, what do we do? Well, I have two elk tags. I have a Wyoming elk tag, and I have a Colorado elk tag. And so I called my buddy Q, where... Of course, Q runs QRS Outdoor Specialties. QRS Outdoor Specialties. 
Um, I just say QRS outdoors, but, uh, and they, I had seen, I'd already killed that buck, that mule deer buck in, uh, Wyoming at Split Rock, right. the place he runs there. And, um, we'd seen some elk, which was pretty exciting. There was probably 120 head, uh, that first week of September, not really bugling or anything like that, but they were definitely together and staying together and and you know the big bull you'd see the big bull kind of bluff charge some of the younger satellite bulls and at the time there was i think only three bulls in that whole bunch that's a lot of cows for three bulls that's a lot of cows but we knew that there was going to be some more bulls come in in the middle of september so larry who you got to meet today yeah uh, um is uh he's he's here in in Meeker, which is where we're sitting right now, um, Larry was guiding up there, and oh, the, the same time that you were no, okay. no, this last week okay. when I'm trying to figure out where am I going to go, right? And the, I couldn't go to Split Rock because Q had two hunters, and I, I don't, I don't want to go in, even though we we're not guided. I mean, we do our own thing. I want to be really cautious and courteous. To the hunters that have saved their money, booked all this stuff, I don't want to come in just because. Well, we got camera crew, you know, and be right. arrogant like that. So I want to be really cautious, and um, it's easy for Q because he doesn't need to guide us, and we clean the lodge when we leave. We, you know, we take care of things. Right. So uh, I treat his stuff just like I treat my own. And I think he sees that. So he tries to accommodate when he doesn't have hunters or whatever. If I if that's when I have free time, he's like, well, come on up. So we were going to plan on heading up there because Larry said, yeah, we're seeing these elk. Right. Well, the Split Rock is an interesting place. I've talked about it tons on the podcast. But there is some public land that comes and kind of checkerboards in it. And... Um, in Wyoming, not the whole state, but there's different counties, and it all depends on whether or not the counties will prosecute. In Colorado, you cannot fence or corner jump. Right. You were telling me that. Even corners touch. So if you have yeah, checkerboard, public and private, you can't check. You can't jump that corner into another section of, of public land. Well, in this county of Wyoming, you can. And there's an individual that does it regularly. And it's it's kind of it's kind of disappointing in a way because he's a sportsman. He seems like a good hunter. He's very every year he kills stuff, but he kind of rubs it in Q's face because oh. Q can't prosecute him. Right. And um, there's been times where he's he'll set up hunters in the dark in these areas where these deer coming or elk are coming or whatever and bust them out. And oh, so Q has these clients that are, you know, paying clients and he's looking at what's going on and go. And it, in a way, if it's legal, I guess it's all right. I just, I don't like the way then he posted on Facebook and makes a big deal about it. Yeah. And kind of, he texts, he even texts Q pictures of the animals he's killed. Well, that's tough. Yeah, that's how, I mean, yeah. I don't know. That's character. Mm -hmm. Shows a little disrespect there. 
I think so. And, and, and I'm sure Q's kind of gotten frustrated with him. I would. Mm. Um, yeah, but I then too. I can also see on his side the fact that he is doing right now, it is legal. I guess there is some some things going on uh, where maybe they're going to try and make a ruling on that, which would put an end to that. Right. Um, in Wyoming and Colorado, I think, is the same. If you, you can landlock public land. Right. You can lock. In New Mexico, you can't. If you have public land, or at least it used to be this way. I've been gone a while. They might right. have changed the line. But back in the day, you had to provide access to the public. Did so let's really? say you had, a, you know, a thousand acres, but inside you had 400 that was public. Yeah, that's tough. You, you have to. You, you post your private, but you have to allow hunters passageway. That's a tough one. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I guess I see it's never been much of, I don't know, maybe it has for some people, but if you want to access that property, I think that respect should be to knock, Hey, call, you know, make that effort. I well, mean, we as a hunting community here. have, have screwed ourselves because we go out, we throw beer cans out, soda pop cans out, um, trash, you know, we, we don't police ourselves. Right. So if I was a landowner and I had 10,000 acres and I had a couple of really sweet little public land properties and could, I had a choice to either allow people access or not allow people access, I might go on the other, you know, lock them out too, because they don't treat it like their own. I would. They, they dump you see it all the time in Kansas. Um, Phil Francone, my neighbor that on the property that I hunt in Kansas, he's got a spot where people f- for the longest time would just come. There's washer dryers in this little gully right off the road. They just dump their trash, and it's his property. Yeah. So. Um, and then he's responsible to pay for that to get it out. Right. It's or like, clean it up himself. Right. right. Still, yeah, yeah. Still a cost. Still a cost. Sure. Yeah. So. Here we are, Larry's calling me, and apparently there's three or four guys that are sitting right there. And they, and Larry even watched them run to try and cut the herd off. Oh. And he ended, ended up, they pushed the elk quite a ways across a highway, which normally they won't go across at this time of year. They're, there's good feed there, there's good water. They'll hang out there. And, if, and as Q does, he hunts them smart. It's perfect. He's got the ability to move in or back off, and they're not going to go anywhere. Well, now they're running ragged. Well, so I'm getting these texts from Larry about what's going on, and they ended up finding some the elk. They were back in this draw, and, you know, and then they'd disappear, and then they'd show up, and then they get bumped, and... So I'm like, oh, do I really want to go, you know, with your time, with my time, and go, well, I think we could probably kill a bull if we could hunt them the way we needed to. Right. But it sounded to me like they were getting run all over Hell's Half Acre, you know? Which makes it really difficult to make a play on them. Well, and you compound on that the fact that there's over 100 elk together. Mm Mm-hmm. We talked about it earlier. I mean, it's really hard to hunt big herds of elk. You need these small pockets. So 
as the week was getting on, I think I told you, oh, we're going to Wyoming. Oh, I'm not <laughs> sure. We right. were even kicking around, hey, maybe let's just go on a over-the-counter unit right. and just go hunt elk like we've done, like I used to do all the time and like you do every year. And we were kind of okay with that. And um, then Q called me and said, hey, I picked up this new property. There's elk on it. You guys will have it if you want all to yourself. And it is a piece of property that is down from the Flag Creek Ranch that, that he, he runs in outside of Meeker, Colorado. And in Meeker at Flag Creek, this, this last five days, he's got the uh, Marine Combat Outdoors, the veterans that come in. And um, Larry actually was one of those hunters years ago and that's how he met q and then he came back and now he guides for q that's very it's cool. really good larry's yeah. amazing amazing guy so <clears throat> so the opportunity and i knew where this property was because adam guides even further down that that road that you were telling me that, about yeah right? And and uh, and I had hunted there, and so I knew the country a little bit. I knew how it laid, and I looked at it on Onyx, and kind of it looked really good. And, and and it's tough to make that decision on three different areas because even where I had gone this year too, there were I had talked to a couple of buddies and said that there's some good sign up there. They've been calling and they're active, right. you know, and they'd been seeing him as well. So you have three kind of and and none of them are really <clears throat> bad. There's elk there. We know there's elk in all three of those situations, but the decision I have to make is what's the most uh, effective use of our time and our resources, because it costs money to do what we do. You get paid, I gotta pay for everything, right? You know, um, and so we and there's kind of a last ditch effort because of the fact that. You know, I didn't even think I was going to get the elk hunt. Right. Well, and and here's the thing too. Someone tells you, "Hey, you've got all this area to yourself. We know there's elk in there." And and that's, I know you had never hunted this type of country. No. Which let's explain to the to the listeners. This country out here in, in Meeker is really unique because you have your big dark timber. You have your stands of aspen. But it's pri primarily, I would say, those are pockets. Right. Primarily, it's scrub oak. A lot of scrub oak. <laughs> and you had never hunted scrub never. oak. Never. I love never. scrub oak. I do now. You know, at first sight, you look at it, how are you going to move through that? I mean, there were a number of game trails that we were able to find through there that kept, I mean, yeah, you've got to maneuver around some of them, but to carrying a camera with our packs, your bow, you know, we made it through. I looked at you one time when we were working down a ridge and you had your headphones in and I think you got tangled up like four times and you finally said, I'm going to take my headphones <laughs> off and, and then I'll put them on if we get into something. And I'm like, that's fine. Because you're right. It's, you're literally, you're tangled on everything. And even with a bow, working through a bow, you know, working through, you hang up on your limb or, you know, whatever. So... It's a little more difficult, but For after sure. having hunted Kentucky, I don't complain because Kentucky is 10 times worse because not only do you have, instead of scrub oak, you have autumn olives, okay? And they have these thorns, thorns on them, 
But then when it opens up and you're like, oh, this is perfect, and it's only about knee-high, it's either Cerisa mixed with briars or just plain briars. So when you're glassing a hillside here and you see elk moving through the scrub oak, you could walk that same trail. Right. When you see elk walking through the autumn olives and into an opening and then out, you could walk that trail, but you, the, your lower leg is going to be hamburger because of it. the priors. You've got to, I mean, I wore, I wore gaiters constantly yeah. because otherwise I would just ruin my pants. Without a doubt, yeah. So, or a lot of rabbit trails here, but so that was how we kind of got to the decision. How exciting is it to go into new country? You know, Q said they're seeing some elk in there and the elk in the general area were starting to bugle quite a bit more and the height of the rut was really taken in and we looked at the weather and it was supposed to get pretty it was pretty warm when we first got there but then as the week went on it was supposed to get down to 27 at night with a high of 55 i mean that's perfect elk hunting weather perfect yeah so um and i trust q i know q he's a good hunter himself he knows how to get people on animals. So when he tells me, hey, this is what I would do, I would, you know, work. And that's what he did. He, he, he basically said, look, here's what you got. We we're looking at the maps. And he, t- he basically said, you know, here's, here's where you're going to go in. We even said the first, what we did first when we got here, the, uh, was it Friday afternoon? Yeah, it was Friday uh, it was, afternoon. Yeah. And we went out and immediately, you and I, uh, met up with Q and Jordy, and he took us in. He said, you're going to go down this road. There's going to be three wallows. Set a blind up at the top one and the bottom one. I had some of those new bog cameras, trail cameras, and so I set those up too. I'm like, perfect. And he said, the elk have been hitting these wallows anywhere from... I think he said like 11 in the morning to like three in the afternoon, but it's been a lot hotter than what it had been. Yeah. yeah. So, um, we did, we went in there, set those up and we sat one of the wallows that afternoon, that afternoon, just cause it was so hot. And then as the evening wore on, we were just listening for bugles cause we figured we'll sit in here. One will hammer off and we'll go take the fight to him. Right. You know, we'll let the thermals change, and uh, and then we'll go and hunt them. One of the things I learned from Adam about hunting this country, and uh, there's a ton I've learned from Adam. I thought I knew how to hunt elk because I hunted elk and, and guided in New Mexico. And then I spent time with Adam um, when he was running, when he was managing uh, Big Mountain Ranch, which was, again, you know, eight miles down that, right. that that road from uh, towards rifle uh same type of country uh what he just really taught me the usage of wind and and he always used to tell me you can fool their eyes you can fool their ears but you'll never fool their nose and so the idea that that adam instilled upon me and you probably saw a little bit of it at this on this hunt without a doubt yeah. was you get up high you're only safe when you're up high, and um, especially when it's still, even though the thermals drop in the morning, if you stay back from that edge, 
you can sit up there in glass and you can get a feel for what the elk are doing. Number one, that's going to tell you, are there elk here? Are there not elk here? Then we might sit there till the sun hits that particular area because thermals are not going to change until the air is heated up and it starts to rise. Then you can bail off. You can call a bull and his, he's coming up. You got him. Right. And how important in this scenario, I mean, this is so much learning for me, you know, coming into this type of country. And it's one thing when you're in a valley, you feel the wind going a constant way. And it's usually cool in those areas. I mean, yeah, on a hot day, it, thermals are going to move up. But I never, I never really worried too much about it because you have so much of a hillside in some cases for me, right? Like you figure you're just going to go up to the top, try to get above everything. You know what I mean? And let the kind of let everything kind of go up and then you play the wind how it needs to. That was like my mentality. Right. But here's the, here's the, the, what I learned again, this is not something I came up with. This was something that Adam really instilled in me was every situation is different. Okay. So have you ever glassed and it's uh, in that, let's say the prairie and your antelope hunting and it's cold, but you still have heat waves. Right. So wait a minute. What's that? Well, those are thermals. It's rising. It's, it's off the, the ground. The, yeah. The, the, the sun is warming up the air and it's rising. You always have thermals. If there's sun, your thermals are going to, because it's changing the temperature. Okay. So. That's why I always have a wind checker, of course. Right. But but the way you managed this hunt, I wouldn't have, I mean, for instance, today, I mean, you were like, yeah, we need to move now. Right. I well, wouldn't have and, even and, thought and Let that. me explain to listeners what I was thinking. So again, I like to get up high and steal upon me from Adam. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not trying to take credit for this. Please understand that. Um, and then you don't make a move. Now, you can, and we did it this morning, you can come from the bottom if you're below the elk in the morning before the thermals change because you will have that thermal change. Now, throw predominant wind in there, and it's all changes. People under, don't understand why you have swirling winds. Swirling winds, you have a, a swirling wind when you have a predominant wind that, that meets up with a thermal that creates a toilet bowl effect. So you're up on the top, thermals are rising, everything's fine. You have a predominant wind, you're beautiful. You drop off into the shade because the sun hasn't hit that. All of a sudden now, your predominant wind, maybe it's blocked, maybe it's coming around a canyon, so it's not exactly the same. If you look at your weather app and it says you have a southwest wind, it could be coming out of the north because the southwest is coming around that draw and going up it. Right. Then it hits the thermal or that pocket where the bench, and you'll see this a lot. Why do animals bed on those benches? Because it's cooler. Also because the thermals will cause a toilet bowl. They, they can smell everything. everything. Yeah, They're not stupid. So those are things you have to watch for. And these are things that I do now because of years of watching Adam. And I'm like, let's go after him. And he's like, we can't. Well, why not? Because if we take a step and we fall on that bench, our, our wind is going to go right to him. Oh, well, it sunk in. That's like where I'm so, at. So yeah. 
let's uh, a little uh, little overview of, yeah. of wind and understanding. <laughs> so out here, I'm, I, I I I pay very very strong attention to that because of the way the country lays, and they're not huge mountains like you would be hunting thinking. It's it's ridges. And there might be a thousand foot elevation or six hundred foot elevation, right? Depending upon what ridge you're on, mm-hmm. and they fall off and they climb and all of these different. So you have this plethora of these changing winds. So you always have to be on your game. Um, so yesterday, Q told us, "Hey, I want we want you to go this." You come in from the other side. So we actually went all the way out to the highway and came in another way and unloaded the ranger, mm-hmm. move. He said, I want you to, and this is how specific he is, and which is great because we've never set foot in this. And we're going to, first time we're setting foot in this area, it's dark. So we, we've got our onyx, but that's all we have. Yeah. So he was fortunate enough um, the night before we it was got in late and we pulled up the maps real quick and he said, Park here, walk up there. This is where you want to concentrate. This is where the elk are. So just as day is daylight's breaking, we're walking. We're walking up this trail, this long draw, and it's got this gorgeous little right-hand turn into this beautiful aspen basin. Elk, I mean, looks elk. It looks elky, very elky. And we get in there, and I think I cow called a couple times, didn't hear a lot. And then as we get in there, a bull bugles. And he is around at the end of that big, long draw and up in that Aspen well, Basin. It had to be, what, just a little over 150 yards from us? Maybe at the time when we... When I think we first heard him, he was like 200. Yeah, okay. Maybe 250. And I mean... It's close. Yeah, but he didn't bugle at us. Right. He was bugling, which was great for us because we're like, ah, oh, we heard a bugle finally, oh, right? Yes. And so we end up coming around and um, he bugles again. I cow call and I think I bugled back at him and I got him to got him to got him to get even more vocal yeah what i made a mistake on is like i'd never hunted freaking elk before (laughs) i didn't take into account that he was coming quick too quick and so i we kind of lollygagged and i did get some gain some elevation and the reason i did that we talked about this the reason i gained that elevation was because i was concerned the thermals if this was a mexican standoff for a little while where we're back and forth and i'm trying to coax him in thermals change he's above us we're screwed so i tried to get up even elevation wise with him which we were headed there yeah we were were headed headed there there. and and then he bugles and he's just over this little knob so we kind of set up i didn't get my montana decoy out which i have that backcountry elk which is the elk rump my plan was since we didn't have, since I was calling for myself and we didn't have a caller to go back, my plan was to put that in the ground 30, 40 yards behind us. Call kind of over my shoulder. So if he did need a visual or whatever, he'd have a visual on that. Now, the other thing is it's kind of hard in this country because it's so thick. Right. So if we were in the oak brush, chances were he wasn't going to see it. So we'd have to find the right spot. Well, we were kind of in an aspen grove so i think we could have it had i understood that 
and hustled, I probably could have got that set up and then we move forward. Right. Uh, and I think that bull, because then I cow called and he came and he stopped at 70 yards. Right about he 70. Did, yeah. And he, a lot of trees in the way. There's, I mean, not that I would shoot a bull at 70 yards, but I, I wouldn't have, couldn't have got you an arrow through yeah, there anyway. Throw the ass But we do get him on camera and he comes in and I think he bugled once or something. <laughs> anyway. the, I think he did a couple. And then he just, and I kind of over my shoulder, you know, kind of tried to cow call and uh, he wouldn't come. And then he kind of turned and, and then we lost him because there was just too much, too many aspens there. And, All the and, vegetation. Yeah. There. And we're like, uh, so we stood there for four or five minutes probably. And then we're like, man, he must have walked off. And we're still not real sure where he went. Yeah. But he did go back. And so we're like, shoot. He fired, did he fired off? He, he was kind of bugle going away, again, yeah. but he was bugle. He was going away. And mm -hmm. I don't like to chase elk. That's the other thing Adam taught me. You're never going to catch him. It's a good point. Well, that with thermals going up too doesn't right, make a whole lot right. of sense. Right, and I, he was going up into that pocket, and we were going to be below him, and there was no way we were going to get up the ridge and around him. No. So our plan was, I said, well, shoot, let's go back up over the ridge to our to our north because there was another draw that was very similar to this one right there so we went ahead and climbed it up climbed found us a, <laughs> a game trail through that scrub oak yep actually a really nice brush, game trail too uh, and I headed up there got up there and i said let's just kind of sit here and let's listen um there's an advantage of hearing a bull bugle before making him bugle he doesn't know you're there. The moment you sound off, he knows, hopefully he thinks it's a cow, but he knows something's there. And you've given away that surprise. I like to get, if I can, um, once a bull bugles, get as close as I can and then have a, a calling sequence. You know, set up. Yeah, I think that's get, a great yeah, way to yeah. to go about it. Get into. I think you said it earlier. That bubble. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Heck with Chris Rowe and his doorways. <laughs> we were talking about that. I love Chris. He's a good dude. He's a good dude. Yeah. He's, he's helped. I mean, I he's follow probably a forgotten lot of stuff. more about elk hunting than I'll ever know. But, <laughs> um, but we get up on that ridge, and I, um, I think you ended up saying, you know. Yeah, I'm going to go back. I just want a glass and see if we can see anything in that other drainage. I walked down the ridge a little bit trying to glass into the new drainage that we were now in the ridge between the the one that we'd walked up. and, and right. So you come back and you said, that bull's bugling still. He's right twice, in that pocket. Twice, yeah. He went off twice. And I said, well, okay, maybe he's going to bed there. That's what I would have thought too, maybe. And so we made a decision to go ahead and stay on top of that ridge, but it kind of split and it went back. We could follow it back behind to the head of that Aspen pocket up above him. Or we could have gone down and gone to the head of the other draw. Right. So we did that. We, we, did, we went down to the, to the draw where the bull was bugling. 
on the head uh, up on the top if you imagine a big draw and then it kind of takes a right hand turn well we'd gone up the left side and we went all the way to the to the back of it and then went started heading around above where that bull was and as we were walking we jumped a cow and i don't know if she was bedded there or if she was just walking i don't know either but we had the wind right because we were again up on the ridge top which we came across that doe Mm-hmm. And and the other elk that was at the top there too. Yeah, yeah they had no idea right. until they saw us. And then uh, we kind of worked a little bit over. I kept checking the wind, and the wind thermals were perfect. So we were in a position now to try and see if we could get something going with this bull. And I cow called a couple times, even bugled, and he never made a peep. Never. Yeah, made which a was peep. crazy too. I which mean, was crazy. Up, I still yeah. thought he was still in that draw. I just thought he bedded and shut up, which they'll do. Right. The other crazy thing was he was all by himself. He had, there was no cows with him. Right. So. And we sat for a while after that oh, too, yeah. thinking, you know, maybe maybe we'll wait for, for him to respond or just see if something happens too, because he might have called on his own. And in a situation where we, we didn't have the blinds put up i might have sat there all day and waited and then because normally if a bull's bedded when he they'll bugle before they bed and then they'll bed down and then they'll bugle they'll get up they'll bugle and then they'll start moving um but since we were on pretty from according to q pretty hot wallows we went ahead, we kind of hiked out, back out and around, and we had we had our lunch with us, or yep. we went and made lunch at the truck. Oh, that's right, yeah. And then we came back, hiked up to the wallow, and sat there from 11 to 4? Yep, yeah. Took a nap. Yeah, you're right, yeah, 11 to 4, <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> and saw nothing. And I checked my trail camera. The only pictures on it were me. So we were like, all right. But it's pretty warm. It was pretty warm. Yeah. And so I was concerned that we weren't going to really get into anything until later in the evening. But the plan was for that afternoon was to go back around. And instead of walking up the bottom, which, of course, with the thermals rising would have taking our scent right up to them. Right. That's another thing that you'll see a lot of public land hunters that come out to Colorado to hunt elk. They go straight down the bottom. They walk straight down the bottom, down the nicest trail. Their scent wafts up to these bedded elk, and those elk are gone, and they don't ever even know they were there. Right. And I just shake my head. I'm like, what are you doing? So please keep doing that, because I'm going to be up at top, and I'll just let... (laughs) The problem is, you're trying to to stop running elk. Right. Uh, Just because you're walking... People, if you're listening to this, and you want to come out west and hunt elk, just because you're taking your bow for a walk does not mean you're hunting. Please, learn what the wind is. Stay high if you can, because you're going to be the safest. Even if I have a predominant wind at my back and I'm looking into a basin and that's where the bull I'm hunting is but the wind's at my back as long as I'm on that knife back ridge on the top of that ridge my wind's going to go into never never land it's not going to go off and drop in there because the thermals rising from that basin are going to lift that up 
So as long as I stay on top, I'm fine. The moment I drop in there, that's when the problems start happening. And that's hard for a lot of people, I think, to because they see it, right? Visually see it. That's my opportunity. That's the one opportunity. And they go, I I wish we should make a shirt. You can fool their eyes, you can fool their ears, but you can never fool their nose. Right. And if people will live by that, they'll be much more successful. And you know what? They probably won't even put as much, wear out as much boot leather. There's so many guys that come out west and walk. I would much rather see elk from glassing. Tanner is Tanner Vernon is a great example of this. Great example. He will, uh, and, and Adam too. I mean, they're, they're not going to hunt elk they don't see or hear. They're not just going to go walking through country hoping for it. That's a key. So hopefully somebody gets some a few little helpful hints on, on coming out west to hunt. You don't need to just go walk. That's not how you're going to be successful. you got to put yourself in high percentage plays, and that's going to come from being smart. Yeah. Work so, smarter, not harder. Work smarter, not harder, right? So here we are, afternoon. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to go down, get on that ridge in between where we were, we have the wallows set that ridge. There's a bunch of different uh, drainages that run parallel. So we're kind of jumping back and forth between these drainages. And these are 600, 800 foot elevation. Mm-hmm. In between. I mean, so they're not tiny. They're pretty big, the big pockets of aspen. And short distance, yeah. Yeah, so. but if you look at it compared to some of the North Park area, or I mean, with big, big mountains, you're talking about huge mountains. You're talking about you could you could gain twenty five hundred foot of elevation, right? In some of those big things. Yes. Nasty so we cult. we ended up getting to the going back. After we sat all afternoon and getting on the, that middle ridge and, and climbing it up. And that was a bear because of some cliffs and the scrub oak. And that was thicker. Yeah, it was probably the thickest scrub oak that we moved through. Could you believe the sign in there? It, that's the crazy part. Man, there was elk sign everywhere. Fresh. Everywhere. Probably, probably the best spot that we had seen elk sign in. Um, and I would say that's more days. travel. Yeah, I'd agree. I would say there's probably some elk that go in there in bed. Yeah. But I would say majority of it, that that's just a travel route. Right. That's, and, and you could see the trails we were using. They were just just tons of elk sign, fresh elk, the most uh, fresh elk sign that we'd seen. So we're, sure. we're pretty we're that's like, encouraging. Sweet, good. <laughs> and we're trying to get back to that same Aspen pocket that we had that interaction with, with that five point. And that and we did get video of him, and, and he was a – sounded – a lot bigger than a five point, but yeah. he, he was a mature, I think at least a three-year-old bull. And, uh, and for some of this country in, uh, in Colorado, you know, a three-year-old bull is, is a decent bull. Um, you know, I, I tell people, well, what should I hold out for? If you're coming to Colorado and you're hunting public land or an over-the-counter tag, like we are on right now, yes. we're hunting an over-the-counter ta- uh, tag. Now there is some public there that we're hunting, but it's also private. So primarily, you know, um, but if you're doing that, you need to shoot the first animal 
legal animal. Yeah. Don't if it's your first trip, don't try and hold out. Oh, I'm gonna wait for a 350 bull because you there might not be a 350 bull in 10 miles. Yep. Okay. Now there are some areas that they pull some big bulls public land. I, I understand that you've killed some decent bulls, um, but that's my thing. And on, but on this I trip, would, it was just by chance right. too, right? Like it's just right. You weren't targeting that bull. No. You were just targeting a bull. That came and, in and that was that was my thing for this hunt being it was a kind of a last ditch effort and thrown together kind of last minute i wanted that same opportunity i'm going to shoot an illegal bull okay it, this is a bonus hunt for without me. a doubt yeah. so um we got up there and we got above where we thought we needed to be thermals are still rising everything seems okay and we look across, there's some deer, and then yep. all of a sudden we see a spike. And and remember that spike bull, or I that do, spike elk? Which I just had like this little like aha moment, I wonder. If that's the spike today. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, Could have been. Maybe. Could have been. Um, so, but there's, it's silent. Not a cow call, not a bugle, nothing. Wind too. I think the wind was down. Yeah, the wind dropped. Yeah, significant. Yeah, so because it was blowing in the middle of the afternoon, probably 15 miles an hour, 16 mm-hmm. miles an hour. So we start working down through there before thermals changed. And you noticed I got pretty aggressive getting down. Oh, yeah. Because if we got into something and then the thermals changed, we were screwed. Right. So I also cow called. And start bugling. I'm trying to create some excitement to get something. Say, okay, we've got elk here. Now we need to go back this way and then drop down and come at them on the same elevation. Nothing. Nothing. So we did a, a lot of crawling over deadfalls. Worked our way through that aspen patch or that aspen basin. Yeah. And back out to the trail and, um, and walk that out same path that we walked in this morning yeah thermals are dropping now and as we worked out sun's starting to go down or sun was already down but it's starting to get darker mm-hmm. and i'm bugling i'm just trying to find something to answer me yeah see if there's anything in that we didn't, that hear, we didn't not hear a thing no so we end up we're staying here at q's house and which was kind of nice because we were expecting to throw out a tent and camp oh, this and, is luxury yeah, yeah this yeah. is awesome we have a shower and a yeah thanks a, Q. a, a crapper <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know we, we're not squatting in the woods um and we get back and q gets back late and again you know he's getting back late because he's guiding these uh these vets and and one of the guys had shot a bull so he says trev there were five bulls in in that area they got to be in there he said i would try going up that other drainage the one to the north again the one that we were above yeah that we didn't actually that go we didn't into. Even go into he said the, the elk have got to be in there i said okay and i kind of agreed because of the sign we saw right so this morning we get up we get out there it is the coolest was with a little bit of cloud 40, cover. 40 mile, I mean, not 40 mile per hour, 40 degrees, probably a, a eight mile per hour wind. So 
there was there was a little bit of wind which the morning before it had been dead calm so we get out there and we're walking in and i thought well i should call no let's just get in here well the wind started getting goofy and so we get in there and we walked almost to the it's again it's another long drainage and at the back of it is a beautiful little aspen pocket basin type deal there's a little bit of dark timber but mainly aspens just elky this looks elky Very. and as we're walking in there's elk track everywhere and you know i'm feeling pretty good but as we get in there i'm realizing the thermals the sun is rising we've got to get some height so i looked at you and i said we have got to get up man we got to get some height right and you said okay so we found a trail and we went up and we got i don't think we got halfway up that that left side of the ridge no no we got a no because i think we were just about ready to come around right like kind of side hill it around right. that ridge but yeah but i just wanted to get up mm-hmm. because i knew the thermals were oh, you up the drainage, and, yeah yeah i mean i mean up uh, up on the elevation of the of oh, that yeah, ri- yeah. of that back ridge that we climbed up and so we climbed up there and number one i could see better and we could hear really good the wind was with the thermals it was causing some swirl but it wasn't the higher we went the the safer we were right and so we got up to a point and we start looking around and a bull bugles right in the same aspen patch we just walked by right. thank goodness the thermals were falling well and we had stopped only because those elk that we saw across the ridge all right there was another ridge uh to our west and we just happened to see you saw the cow with the, the cow calf. and the calf mm-hmm. and then later on we saw another cow and a, and a small bull yeah and i couldn't tell yeah. so far away but yeah so we're kind of oh okay well there's elk we're, we're we found elk mm-hmm. and then that bull bugled and he bugled out uh, literally we had walked at the the bottom of the draw which of course i just told people that are coming from out of state don't do this but we did it it was almost dark it was just first it light was, right. and the thermals were coming down we had good wind but as soon as that changed we got some elevation and you noticed that pretty quick too right. like you could feel the, the change and you're like all right so um it had gotten warm enough to where i took my jacket off yeah yeah i was going to and then, you were going to yeah yeah well so there we are kind of and it's kind of a little open spot well no not yet we we're above that we we're still in the oak brush yeah. So we're watching this elk. We're listening to this bull bugle. He bugled a couple times, and then another bull bugles. Kind of in the same general vicinity, right? Like yeah, right the, then yeah. I, I'm like, "Is there two bulls there?" We I think we looked at each other and said, "There's two bulls," and then that one bull started moving away, and then we heard cows. Yeah. So we need we knew that one. It's hard to explain it because. The bull that bugled first was the one with the cows. And then this other bull came in. And I don't know where he came from, but it sounded like he was in the same aspen patch. And then he was in the bottom right below us. Right. And they, so now they're screaming at each other. So I'm like, okay, let's see if we can call him up. So we got down and it opened up to, there was probably a 50, 60 yard. There's still some short oak brush, but it's open enough to where... I could put set the decoy up and you and I could drop another 20, 30 yards, tuck up in some brush and call. 
right i was thinking the same thing calling like without like yeah this is awesome maybe i'll call him up so we did we started calling i started uh just really just kind of i think you just cow called it it wasn't anything crazy i didn't i didn't bugle at all at this juncture Mm -hmm. um i just cow called and that the 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 other bull without the cows answered and actually i think he was coming up uh our side of the drainage towards us out of the aspens and uh um you know, south slopes tend to be oak brush, north slopes tend to be aspen. So we're looking toward the north side where it's all aspens and we can hear cracking. And I mean, he's definitely, well, the bull to our right in the further up, the, the initial one with that we walked by with the cows, start screaming at him. Every time he'd bugle, he'd scream. Every time I'd cow call, the little bull would bugle, mm-hmm. and then he'd scream. Well, we could hear him glunking. He's glunking. He's, you know. And I think that happened after. I think that actually the glunking happened after because I think we thought he was coming up when you were doing the cow calls, and then all of a sudden that that bull that didn't have the cows kind of moved up that other ridge. Well, and I think why he did that was because I think the bull, the, which was the more dominant bull with the cows, came down into the bottom with him and and gave him enough pressure and so we look over straight across from us in an opening in the aspens and and as you got up a little higher it opened up there's Mm -hmm. a little kind of a little maybe 100 yards or maybe even bigger than that where the trees aren't there's not so many aspens pretty open you could see him and he's standing there looking at us now he looks like he's looking at us, but I guarantee he was looking at that decoy. Guarantee it. Because we were tucked in the brush. We were doing, you know, we're not moving around. And he would bugle and bugle, and then he'd come down like he was going to try and come across again and then go back up. And all of a sudden, the spike shows up, and he just wanders around like, what are you guys doing? You know, <laughs> it's so funny because they're just, they're just not there Don't yet, know. you know. So... Um, the whole time, I think his the temperature of the dominant bull is just getting higher and higher and higher. Right. And he comes to a point where he's about had enough. Right. And we look over, and here he comes out of the aspens. But he has to go through a small draw to get up on the same. Yeah, and he's, and he's to our right with right. the cows. Yeah. But we never saw the cows. No, we never did. We could hear them, but we never saw them. Well, he went up to a... To, he was actually higher than that bull on the other side where he came out but then he dropped down and went back up mm-hmm. and the next thing you know it's like a foot race he is literally running after that bull running so him cool off to watch. It's, he was yeah. i mean he's just so frustrated and i knew at that point that his excitement level was so high that if we busted butt got down into that bottom between him and his cows and acted like another, another bull, bull just showed up that we were going to get some type of reaction. I remember so, us running down and I was like, you're going to rip one off, you know, cause yeah. that kind of same mentality thinking that's when it's going to happen, but you got to make that call at the right point. Right. You know, you couldn't have done that higher up. We would have need, you know, we had to we get could, in position yeah, and, he, but and play they, him. They moved so fast that, if I if we had if I had not said we got to go, mm-hmm. then we would have missed our window. 
So we are literally running down. He's three quarters of the way up the other side. Of course, they cover that country like, like nothing. nothing. And um, I'm watching his butt as I'm holler, hauling, hauling butt down. Mm-hmm. I'm watching his butt chase that other, uh, that other little littler butt bull off. And so we get to the almost to the bottom. Yeah, we're probably 20 yards from dropping into the bottom. Yeah, and I, and I just gave him i just challenged the crud out of him which and my challenge bugle is again most of what i've learned elk hunting i've learned from somebody else and i've been calling elk for a long time but one thing tanner taught me is he does this call where he chuckles twice then hammers a bugle and then and then sometimes he'll chuckle after sometimes Mm -hmm. not and I, but it's throaty, it's, it's, you're adding voice, it's emotion, it's, you're challenging him. Yeah. And I did that. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> and he screamed back and wheeled and he's coming. And we're watching him. And I'm like, oh crud, he's coming. We got to get down there because I have no shot now. Even the shot across the bottom of that would be a hundred yards. Right. Nah, maybe not a hundred, oh. but but it's so thick. Yeah. So I'm. So then, it's on. And you, we were watching the video, just looking over how it looked, and it looks phenomenal. But you just let it run, Ooh, and we yeah. just started running. And at one juncture, I hit the brakes because he's coming down. Mind you he's in an open area we're not in the most cover it's kind of open too it felt like it anyway and uh i stop and he stopped and he's looking straight at us and he's 200 250 yards across this draw above us because we've dropped down lower now and i'm like stop 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 and you stop and then he keeps coming and i'm like let's go yeah so I threw caution to the wind. I'm like, this is all we got. He is coming. He's coming to the bottom here. And if we're not set up ready to shoot him. Without a doubt. We don't have a chance. So we hot footed down. And I don't know how I picked our spot. I have no idea either. But I looked around and I looked at what my shooting angles were. And I said, this is where we're doing it. And I set it up. And he's still coming. And I think we just got set up. And I... I said, be ready because it's going to happen fast or something like that. And I'm, yeah. I, I clicked on, oh, I started ranging things. Yeah, I think that's what you were doing. And I was I, I'm trying you, to you're set the camera, tripod up make it your focus is on whatever hill he's coming down yeah. on. And he's still coming. Mm. And um, then I, I ranged four or five lo- locations where I'm like, okay, at least it gives me a reference of range. If he comes closer, then I can do some math and hopefully don't have to take my shoes off to count my toes <laughs> but he stops now he's probably 70 maybe 80 yards away and he stops bugles and then keeps trucking and i'm not talking a slow walk i'm talking a run yeah and he dropped down into the bottom and came around and i looked at where he was coming and i saw i had two open lanes There was kind of at the very bottom, it opened up a little bit and there was a small aspen or there was a bunch of aspen and then an opening and a small aspen bush and another opening. And um, 
on the footage, his head, when I, he comes through there and he's cl much closer than I originally thought he was going to be. Right. I had ranged a log back there at 52 yards and he came through and I'm assuming he was 25. Yeah. He seemed really maybe close. 30, maybe 30 because I put my 20 on the top of his lungs and my 30, I mean, both, if he would have been 20, I would have hit the top of his lungs. If he would have been 30, I hit, I would have hit low in his lungs. Right. And I hit right in the middle. Yeah, you did. Because I, yeah. I had my, my read in, my diaphragm call in, and I'm at full draw because he went behind that last clump of aspens. I just, you know. It was just, perfect. And he stopped, settled the pin, and I let her go. And when I shot, he wheeled wheeled back and headed right up the way he came except that he didn't make it 50 yards yep it yeah. was so sweet to watch it was the coolest he thing started doing the old weeble wobble and then and it's all on video which is cool um we're looking and, and then and boop boop and he's down yeah and i remember looking back at the camera going did that just happen yeah, it was crazy. Did that just happen? So it was awesome because we read the situation and I was able to be aggressive when it was time. Right. I didn't I didn't I didn't just go in there and and you know do everything that the Primos videos used to do. Right. Because we're not hunting Bobby Hills Ranch. No. You know, we're not hunting this private ranch that's got elk everywhere. It's it's although we are hunting on a a strip of private here we're hunting elk that are coming off the flat tops they've been hunted i mean these they're a big you know a three-year-old is gonna have cows yeah i mean it, it's 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 a unique situation not that there's not bigger bulls in here right but we were i mean so fortunate to experience that scenario right in front of us where you have two bulls one with cows one not and a perfect example of that bull pushing another one away and how you t basically took advantage of that opportunity. I mean, it's not often you get that and how incredible to know what to do. Right. Like, and I think that's through years of experience where you're finally like, okay, here we go. I, when I saw that, I was like really happy. So when another situation that's similar to that is if you can, if you're hunt, bow hunting antelope in the rut, so that's mid to late September, and you come up on a group of antelope, and there's one buck with a bunch of does, and all these little bucks are circling around. And if you sit there and watch, you'll see that big buck. The Normally he's bigger, mm -hmm. more dominant buck. He will spend his whole day chasing off all those other bucks. Far too. They're extremely all aggressive right. about that. So... I love to see that because what do I do? I grab my Montana decoy, antelope decoy, and I run and I get in between where he's at and where his does are. Now, you can't just run in the open because you'll scare the does <laughs> off. But what I will do is I'll just get to my, myself into position. And then when he's, you know, maybe watching that buck, he's just run off and he's turning to come back, I'll pop that decoy up. Now, that buck will... He he will see, oh, somebody slipped in my back door, you know, around behind me, and he's trying to get with my ladies. Yeah. 
and I've seen antelope run 250 yards at a dead run. I killed one in Montana that did that and um, shot him at 40 yards. Oh, boy. Um, but that's the same type of scenario. When you have that happening, I was concerned about the wind when I was dropping in there. If you remember, uh, yeah, I, a couple times. something about it. But it was just enough to where I was hoping I could get away with it. And it and it worked. Yeah, I think we were on the right side of that right. drainage, mm-hmm. right? Like it kind of played. The predominant wind helped us there, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the fact that the thermals were rising, and since we were high, as we dropped into there, the thermals had changed enough. So we were still had the thermals rising. He was coming off the opposite slope. Right. If we'd have been below him, our wind would have been going up towards exactly. him. But we were on the other side of the drainage. So we had that advantage, and and then the predominant wind was making it a little squirrely, but I but we were able to to make it work. Thank goodness. So, so then uh, then the work began, and luckily, we came back and found that we could get a ranger within, uh, you know, three four hundred three hundred yards. Yeah, I think that's what you said. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah. So that close. was awesome. So we went back, grabbed our. Our bigger kafarus, because I, I carry that twenty two mag, and and you can carry out quarters, but you have to take it all apart and expand it, mm-hmm. and then it doesn't have a true meat shelf, but it it does. But it, I use the straps on the bottom, to, and it yeah. works pretty good. But I just got that forty four mag. Same. So and it we, works great. It, yeah, we grabbed our packs, went back, went and got the ranger, got as close as we could. Um, and then went back in there, took some pictures. Oh no, we had already taken pictures. Huh? I think yeah, we took pic- like right away. We were like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, it was cool though too. We we're like, take advantage of the. And then the light was beautiful because it, it was. was still that flat light. And uh, even though it was supposed to be warmer today, which it, I mean cooler today, which it was, it still got a little yeah, warm. Yeah, like midday. Because we had a pretty good overcast when we were first there, so. It made for some pretty good pictures, and then we turn around and and start, uh, you know, quartering them out, and and you got a chance to I learn did. a new technique today, did. didn't you? Cutlass, pulling the tenderloin out. Yeah, yeah, that was a great. Yeah, it was neat to see. I don't know if I'll ever cut one again. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. So what we did is, uh, it's the gutless method. Basically, uh, another another thing that was interesting was that I texted, I had just enough service, and I texted Q and said, hey, we got a bull down. And I wasn't going to mount this bull. I'll, you know, do it a euro or something. And I said, do you want this hot, this cape? And he said, yes. Apparently, one of his vets from last week had killed, they'd shot a bull and they were having trouble finding him and then they there's so many bears up here they ended up getting on him the next day but a bear had already basically just torn him apart so he didn't have a good cape for that you know vets yeah vets bull that he killed unfortunately and it was a good bull so i uh so i said well i'll just i'll cape this out and can, yeah, you, you can use, yeah, use awesome my cape. But uh, so we barrel barrel cut him, and since we were mounting him, I I did a barrel cut, which basically you just cut all the way around the stomach, uh, not not through just the hide, all the way around the stomach, and then uh, I take and go straight up the neck, right in between the antlers on the back, yeah. on the back, on kind of what you would call their mane, I guess. 
Um, and then, uh, and then I did split the legs down the back of the legs. Mm-hmm. And then I made that cut down to, uh, on, on down into the join my other cut that I made all the way around. Yeah. Like through the armpit, through the armpit and then down the sides. And, uh, you know, the taxidermists will sew that back together cause they, they can match that up. Mm-hmm. So we did that, um, peeled them back, stripped our, our, our front. Yeah, we did left. the left. He was the front yeah. left, right? Mm-hmm. That was the first one. Cause yep. he was laying. Yeah. And, uh, pulled that shoulder off the front shoulder off, then pulled the, and in the meantime, you were working on skin, get in, the skin in the back. We got the back leg off and then I came and we pulled the back strap and then, um, I went in behind that last rib um, and pulled the and it tenderloin. Very nice having a, another pair of hands. Yeah, you know because I mean? you have to push the 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 guts down in. Again, it's this big sack because we you haven't broken the big sack. Mm-hmm. You know, you haven't sliced through it or anything like that. So it's not all good. You just got to push it down to get up in there and and work that tenderloin out, um, and then. He, where he died, usually they, as they do, they die in kind of an unforgiving mess. Yes. But he actually wasn't too bad because he died on some logs, mm-hmm. and we were able to flip him pretty easy, um, and then work on the other side and and do the same thing. You know, finish skinning the, the head out to the to basically to the jawline, and then you know just taking that last vertebrae and popping it off, and then. And we even cut the the uh, the hind and front legs off at the, yeah, the joints, joints, yeah. Just so it that it does because it's well. Number one, it's weight. Number two, it's um, it's not something sticking out tall to to catch on all the exactly. brush we're trying to. Because we had you know had to hike, still had to hike down back through that that aspen bottom, and there's deadfalls everywhere, and then you have stuff growing over you. So yeah, it worked out good. And uh, we we hiked well. First, we packed out the two uh, the hinds, hinds yeah. which honestly, it wasn't that bad. No, no, it was, it was pretty. We were. I yeah. was extremely grateful. Had, that was a very <laughs> light hind quarter. I have packed out elk like that bull I was telling you about in Kentucky. Yes, I mean I think that I think that hind was twenty, maybe twenty five pounds heavier than that. And when you're going from, you know, 65 to 85 or 90, that's right. a big, big swing, especially when you're 135 pounds like me. And when you just pulled a, a moose out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so. that's true. That's true. He's a lot lighter than a moose. Yeah, right. So uh, we were able to first pack, do that, came back in and got everything else second. So I took yeah. the uh, all the spare meat, the neck meat, the tenderloins, the back straps, all in a game bag in the bottom of my pack, and then I strapped the head and the antlers. Yep. And that was actually heavier than, than your first load. Than my first load. Yeah. Yeah. I and you that. you threw in both front shoulders. Yep. How was that? Great. It was heavier than the first load, but that pack, that forty four, that mag forty four helped. Yeah, I used you, that meat shelf for yeah, the first. Yeah, and time. I just put it in the pack, mm-hmm. and it worked great. Yeah. Yeah, especially considering you had the cape to throw in there. It was like perfect. It kind of held it all together. 
It was a pretty fun couple of days. Dude, I had an awesome time. Yeah. It was way cool to experience that. For a hunt that was kind of thrown together last week. And, yeah. you know, here we sit at Q's in the basement, you know. We've got our we've got our bedrolls thrown out on these old mattresses that they've ended up using at some of the lodges that I think just got stored down here, and it beats the heck out of sleeping on the ground. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, so, it really does. Yeah. Well, that was fun. It was. You know, we got some more exciting adventures together. You still got a lot of yeah, a lot of year left. Yeah, I'm having a, I'm having a good year. Very. I like to say that this is the 13th season of Outback Outdoors. That's awesome. And 13 is my lucky number. Ooh. So right now I'm, I'm having a pretty darn good. Oh, and I'm so happy I got to experience this too yeah. with you. Uh, and awesome. that was one of the. That was probably. I, I would venture to say that's one of the best close to the best um, call-ins, vocalizations, and then shots. You it know, just like and worked. It, 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 yeah, it, everything just worked. I mean, it felt, I mean, from, from my perspective, from what I'm seeing through a camera, like, and now checking the footage, I mean, mm -hmm. that's stuff you see on TV, you know, like, that doesn't happen all the time. Like, how often does yeah. it happen? You know what it, I mean? You know, I wish we would do a better job with showing these hunts, but nobody wants to watch a guy strike out. But by us not showing those tough times, I mean, because it happens. Yeah. It how many how many bugles did we did we hear the first day? We heard nothing the first day. Uh, the 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 first afternoon. Yeah. The first afternoon we, we didn't hear anything. And then second we, day, just second that day was just that one. Mm -hmm. And then we went. You know, I mean, just because you go and kill one doesn't mean it was like pandemonium. But see, right. that's what makes it, that's what makes shows. Yeah. That's what makes excitement, right? People want to see critters hit the dirt, and I understand that. I understand the adrenaline, uh, but the fact of the matter is, that's. 15 seconds of five days yeah or you know hiking all over yeah. the all over the place right. i mean we're playing with three drainages that you're going up and down and around you know climbing up yeah. and you're it, like it's i mean it it's was, work it takes time it, yeah and you have to be prepared for yeah. those downs but this to experience this i mean this is a snippet of of that excitement that adrenaline rush that moment that you don't get to see that often i yeah. mean I've, I think I've, you know, hunting six, six years, I've never come across witnessing that in my face. And that was the coolest thing to see. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad you were here. I'm glad you got to see it. I'm glad I've made the shot. <laughs> I was, we were talking about this earlier and the crazy thing is I'm, when, when we get to that position, I'm not nervous. Yeah. We I'm more nervous right. about okay, I've got to move, let's go. And am I making the right moves? It, it, did I set up in the right spot? I mean, the day before we should have killed that bull, but we made some mistakes. I, we didn't make any mistakes. I was just going to say that. We, we didn't really make any mistakes. But what we did is we guessed wrong. It was, and it was timing. Right. I mean, it was timing right. when we came in. Maybe, maybe you, in hindsight, you wait to call. Maybe you get up a little higher, but... Yeah. How are you supposed to know he's that close and he's gonna right. huff over that? It's very right. uncommon. Right. But That's yeah, funny. that was that was way cool. And and like you said, you're, you're right right place at the right time. Yeah, for sure. Well, that was fun.
It's fun. Well, we're going to get uh, finished looking through footage. You're going to get some pictures edited. We'll get some yes. info out on Instagram tomorrow and, and stuff like that. It's always fun. I mean, I don't want to do it to brag, but I want to share the excitement. We, I did I did a few little clips, video clips, as as we had the bull down and, and as we were packing it out just to kind of share the moment I think that's great I get I get it so excited seeing other people go through that experience and I would hope others do too you know you're witnessing something that you know whether or not you've you've been able to put down an animal this year and you fill your freezer it is so great to see other people succeed it's like Eric from Basin yes yeah just seeing yeah seeing him out for huge chunk of the season just trying to work and find that that right bull that excites him yeah and then you uh, he puts that on there and, and yeah, you, you kind of go yeah. through it. Yeah, it's fun. And we don't have great service. Honestly, 60, 70% of places we hunt, we don't have great service. So if we're doing any of that, and, and I don't mind sharing it, here's where, where this whole freaking social media thing hits the wall. When you're more concerned, and I've seen this in people that I know, Hmm. they're more concerned with other people on social media knowing they're out hunting than freaking hunting. Right. And the moment social media takes away my enjoyment of what I love, then I'm not doing it. Yes. And for me, um, did you see me just get up on that soapbox? Um, (laughs) But for me, I love taking people on my adventures with me that's why i do this That's why i do films that's why i do these show is to share my adventures but the moment that takes precedence or or gains more importance than the actual adventure itself right i'm not doing it and that's where i feel i'm at this teeter-totter with instagram for because of the insta story and stuff like that and facebook we do it but it's 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 a joke um, yeah, I like Instagram. I like to format Instagram a lot better. Um, but when I catch myself worrying more about what's my next Insta story installment than being in the moment, and I can see that being a little difficult. There's a, a number of guys, yeah, like you said, that that are constantly uh, sharing stories, and I think that's great, right? Like it's it's suitable for certain um, industries, businesses. I think that. Um, kind of allow that and I I think that there's some guys that are really good at, at kind of managing both ends of that but I think it's because they have that, that time and availability or they're by themselves I notice a lot Agreed. of guys do it and, and I can totally see this because I don't like to be by myself that's why I love having a camera <laughs> especially someone like you who I enjoy spending time with yeah. um, I think that in a way it's your it's being able to keep in touch with other people. You're yeah. not alone. Right. Um, Snyder Snyder did a, um, I think a, a kind of a talk a little bit about that. It might have been on a podcast or just something. You're talking about Aaron Snyder. Yeah, Aaron Snyder. Yeah. yeah, I think he made a comment. It's it's very like guys that want to come out and do these you know seven day hunts or whatever else you know think they might stay out there for ten days straight, not being around anyone. It's really difficult after three days, you know, when you're out by your own and not having any contact with anybody, your head starts to play games with you. And I think that's where 
I'm not saying that all these guys that do the Instagrams that you don't think trouble past three days or whatever, but I do think that helps get through days. I just totally agree. I totally agree that because what happens, you post that, then you get responses. You're not by yourself. Right. 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 So I learned a long time ago. I drew a unit 16A tag. It's the Gila Mm -hmm. in New Mexico. I was probably... 21 no man i was younger than that anyway i went up for i think it was a five-day hunt by myself with my dog (laughs) after about the fourth day i went into town and bought a stick a pack of gum and talked to the gal behind the (laughs) this was before cell phones right yeah but i realized i am not not that guy who likes to be by himself. So from then on, I learned I want to hunt with buddies. And then as things went on and I fell in love with photography and videography and and telling stories. Right. I get to share it. Tell me this. If you didn't have all the camera stuff set up and say it was just somebody else, you know, running Instagram, you'd have the time to do that because you're not focused on everything else. You're not focused on all the camera gear. You're not focused on downloading. Like, I don't know that I would. You might not. I, 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 and here's why. I would still have another buddy with me. I wouldn't be by myself. Right, right. That makes sense. I need the, I need the, I need the human interaction. Uh, for me, Instagram's not enough. Okay. Yeah. Um, I need the human interaction of somebody there, and to me, it's more special for me to have done that by myself today. Mm-hmm. I can honestly say was much more special being able to share it with you regardless of the fact that you were running a camera right but just the fact that you got to be there and be involved and see that and i could come and tell you about it but you experienced it and you and i now have this common thread of this adventure now advantage we have is you were running a camera and now I can take this back and I can show this to my wife and my daughter and my buddies that weren't there and they can feel at least they won't feel the excitement you and I felt right but they'll get an inkling of it and they won't be cold wet or tired yep right exactly and it's huge it's huge huge. and that's what that's 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 the side of it that's awesome because then you get to share everything afterwards Yeah. yeah 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 Well, it's been good. I know you got a lot more work to do. I do. And um, thanks for jumping on with me. I just wanted to capture this adventure while it's fresh in my mind. Yes, always a good idea. Well, thanks for listening, guys. As always, we encourage you to go out, find that wild place that inspires your soul and embrace it. And God bless, and we'll see you down the trail.